Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I'm going to start with this quick story. So a close personal friend of uh, Pope St. John Paul II, another good friend of Pope Benedict XVI, was this guy from Puerto Rico. His name was Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. This wonderful, brilliant theologian. He was a scientist in his former life, became a priest. The story goes that he was once in the car with a bunch of other church people, some cardinals and bishops, and they were driving to New York City, and they come into bumper-to-bumper traffic, and the car in front of them had a bumper sticker on it and the back that read something like this, that Jesus is the answer. And all the prelates, all the cardinals, the bishops in the car were going, oh, yeah, that's very nice. That's how, you know, New York City, you don't usually see stickers like that, you know? It's usually profanities. Anyway, so they're, like, commenting on how nice it is to see Jesus' name on the back of a car in New York City. And someone asked Monsignor, what do you think about that? He goes, yeah, but what's the question? Mm, Right? Jesus is the answer. Yeah, but what's the question? What's the question? This is so critical for us to ponder as we start this year of becoming Catholic, this journey into the heart of the Catholic Church, this journey of coming into deeper relationship with Jesus, starting with this idea Like, if Jesus is the answer, what is the question? What is the question? This is where I want to start this year, tonight. Because what the Catholic Church teaches, what the saints, the mystics, the poets, the artists, the the scholars who've gone before us, what the Catholic Church teaches is that Jesus is the answer to my heart's most deepest and fundamental cry. Jesus is the answer to my heart's desires. Like my hunger and my thirst for fulfillment. My hunger and my thirst for the infinite. Jesus is the answer to my heart's cry for the infinite. That's who he is. Pope St. John Paul II, I referenced him a moment ago. Pope St. John Paul II, he put it this way. He said, it is Jesus that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else you find satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is He who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. Look at these words. He's talking about happiness. He's talking about satisfaction, beauty, attraction, thirst, all of these things. I'm going to talk about this in a second. This is a little teaser right there. Okay. Jesus is the answer to the cry of my heart, right? This is what John Paul II is saying. Anytime I've been stirred up, anytime my heart has been attracted to anything, anything that's good, anything that's true, anything that's beautiful, like lurking behind that, he's saying, is Jesus. It's Jesus who is drawing our hearts at all times. He's the one who stirs up our hearts, this longing for more. I've been saying it like 50 times already, but I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about our hearts, friends. Like this becoming Catholic journey, if we, if we just get all the head knowledge and it misses our hearts, we've missed the whole point. We've missed the whole point. The very first question that Jesus asked the disciples of John the Baptist, the very first question he asks humanity in John's gospel is not, where were you in synagogue on Sunday? It's, what are you looking for? In other words, what are you seeking? What do you desire? 
Jesus' first question is a question about our hearts. He's engaging the heart. He's looking after what are we looking for. He's tapping into our hearts and desires. I want us to get us in touch tonight with our hearts as the question to begin seeing Jesus as the answer. If we miss that, we're going to miss everything. Okay, so let's start with this question. What was, maybe just by way of hands, um, can anybody share what is like your earliest memory of like your heart, something that stirred your heart up? Let's just practice. This is what it looks like to raise your hand. <laughs> Everyone, you're going to do it with me. Raise your hands. Everybody, let's get those rotator cuffs moving. There you go. Okay. Someone tell me, what's the first? Yes, go ahead. Tell me your name one more time. RJ. RJ. First memory of that. When you found out you were adopted, that moved your heart, yeah? Okay, someone else. When I got to hold my baby sister. When you got to hold your baby sister, heck of a memory. I remember when I got to hold my baby brother. Yeah, yeah, for me, this is a huge part of my story. So a few weeks ago, I was uh, visiting with some friends of mine on my day off, just they got a bunch of kids after dinner. We were in the family room and we were trying to deliberate on a movie and I was like, let's watch E.T. I've not seen E.T. in like 25 years, right? So we're watching E.T. This movie came out before I was born, um, not to make anybody feel old. Sorry, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said it. My parents were dating, okay? So like, calm down. Came out before I was born, but we did have a VHS of it, okay, in the house, all right? It's one of the earliest movies I remember seeing. Like, this scene, I want to show you this scene in particular. This scene is branded in my memory as something that like, like exploded something in my heart. Never before did I imagine that bikes could do this. Like it blew something open, the doors down my heart, the music, the cinematography, everything. Let's just watch this. felt it? Who felt it? Who felt that? Come on now, right? Come on. Okay. One more, one more, one more memory. Okay. So sixth grade, before I had read the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Peter Jackson's movies came out. This was a game changer in my life. Watching these films, I learned Elvish in seventh grade because, I mean, I didn't have friends, right? So like, I'm not sure which was the cause, which was the effect, but you know, 
When you learn Elvis, you don't really have a lot of friends. I'll leave that aside. Okay, but like this, like this, like this right here. Like I don't know what was going on in my heart, but this did something to me. Watch. I was 11 years old and something awoke in me from that that's never gone to sleep. Something was awoken in me that has just never died down. This, this longing for adventure, this longing for my life to be epic, right? That is in my heart. That did something to my heart. It's just wild though, isn't it? That like, that like m music can do that? That like these speakers like are vibrating air, okay? Like, and it's sending movements through the air and it's being picked up by your ear and it's vibrating the, uh, what are the, the, the things in your ear? The things in your ear. And that's translated into electrochemical stuff that's going into your brain and you like experience those emotions and like this little thing here is blasting light up on this screen and it's just like, that all of that has the capacity to do something in us. Like, just pause and think about that. Like, what does that mean about what it means to be human? This capacity for our deep interiority to be stirred up, that it makes me ache and long. And I mean, I don't care how old I'll be, but to hear the music of Howard Shore, to hear the music of John Williams, it will destroy me till the day I die. Till the day I die. Like, what does that say about us as human beings? I'll put it this way, that you and I as human beings, contrary to the prevailing wisdom of the academy, the progressive narrative of what it means to be human, we are not just mere matter. We're not just biological meat robots. We are, we are unbelievable creatures that we are not merely material beings. That in the, in the poetic words of the author of Genesis, we are the poema, the poem of God. Then those images of Genesis that God reaches into the dust of the earth, fashions the human being out of matter, and then <sighs> breathes into his nostrils the spirit. We become this living being, that we are this composite of matter and spirit. It's like we straddle these two worlds. We're higher than the animals. We're lower than the angels. We're like, we're like angels, okay? Like we're somewhere in between, the both of them. We have one foot, like I said, in this world, and we have another foot in this other world. And like the place we experience that transcendence is our hearts. The place where we experience that is our hearts. This comes out of the scriptures from, from the book of Ecclesiastes. The Lord has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also put eternity into the human heart. He's put eternity in the human heart that you and I, we carry within ourselves this hunger and this thirst for the infinite, the inexpressible, something 
Beyond the Stars. Like, it's in every song that's on the radio. It's in, maybe not every song on the radio. It's in many good songs on the radio. It's in the best of our movies. It's in the best of our art. This longing for more. This longing for more. Father Thomas Dubé, who's an amazing spiritual writer, he wrote this, that we must begin with the beginning. You. As a human being, you are a thirst. Every single choice you make all day long is proof that you seek, you desire, you want, you lack. Nothing is ever enough. We were born that way. We may differ in how we seek, but all seek. And this restlessness and this thirsting in the human heart is what gives birth, I think, it's what gives birth in us to what is most authentically human. This passion. Let's watch this. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists, and identity. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? iPad Air. <laughs> Anybody know where that, that, those words are from? Anybody know? Anybody know the voice? Who's the speaker? Robin Williams. That's, from, that's Dead Poets Society. Who's seen Dead Poets Society? Yeah, oh, Captain, my captain. Yeah? Poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. These are what we stay alive for. We are at our core. We are, as he's saying, we are these artists, these poets, these, again, these creatures that are made of stardust, but who are destined to outlive the stars. We are creatures of the earth, but we are filled with this longing for the infinite. That's what we are. That's who we are. And not just a recent development. I mean, this is amazing stuff. Like archaeologists, paleoanthropologists, they were searching for evidence of very, very early human life. Think about the beginning of the, the 20th century, the end of the 19th century. They were looking for the, you know, the, the, the missing link, all these sorts of things. And they were trying to find evidence of this primitive caveman. Then one day they stumbled into a cave in France. And they found this scribbled on the walls. G.K. Chesterton, who's one of my favorites, he's, he, he was so blown away by this, and he, he commented saying this, what was found in the cave was not the club, the, go the horrible, gory club of the caveman 
notched with the number of women that it had knocked unconscious on the head. This secret chamber of rock, when illuminated after its long night of unnumbered ages, revealed on its walls large and sprawling outlines, diversified with colored earths. And when they followed the lines of them, they recognized across the vast and void of ages the movement and the gesture of a man's hand. They were drawings or paintings of animals. They were drawn or painted not only by a man, but by an artist from 36,000 years ago. If you ever go to the Cleveland Museum of Art, right on the uh, sort of entryway before you get into the kind of Christian section, which is kind of off to the right and the Egyptian section to the left, there's, there's a little glass case that has this um, little figurine. I stole it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a replica. I'm just kidding. Okay, so this little guy, um, it's one of my favorite artifacts in the museum. Um, it was carved somewhere in the ballpark of 2500 BC-ish, right? 2500 BC. It's called Stargazer. Stargazer. It depicts like a human figure just looking up, just looking up to the heavens. You know, the word desire, if you've ever heard me preach, you know I love etymology, knowing where words come from, what they mean, that sort of thing. The word desire, amazing etymology, from the Latin desire, which can be translated in two ways, either to the stars or actually from the stars. Like this stuff in us that I'm talking about, this deep well of longing, this passion, this stuff that gets moved when I watch E.T., when I listen to Lord of the Rings, this desire, it is, it's coming from somewhere beyond the stars and it's trying to propel me to someplace beyond the stars. Here's another great etymology in that. In French, desire, from the father. Like, who was that? The, that horse was sired by, right? From the father. Whew. Getting ahead of myself. This is so good. This is good stuff. We possess in our hearts what the church fathers, the earliest Christian writers, what they called the kapax dei. A lot of Latin in the early church. But kapax dei means our capacity for God that we have built into the architecture of our nature this capacity to be in relationship with God, to be open to receive what he wants to put in there. Like, dolphins don't have kapax dei. They're amazing, right? Otters, so cute. They hold hands when they sleep in the river. We've all seen the pictures. It's absurd. Not kapax dei. Kapax cute. Not, not kapax dei, right? There's no otter who's going, like, from waking up from his nap going, is there more to life than this? I should find another rock. Right? That's, 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 they're not thinking that. St. Augustine, who's, a, who's an amazing early church father, a, a doctor of the church, a brilliant saint, he put it all this way. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We are these creatures of unbelievable restlessness, always looking for more, never fully satisfied. I mean, who remembers Christmas morning? Like, it's almost like the buildup to Christmas is better than Christmas morning itself, right? Like all the presents are open, everything's done, it's all there, and you're like, eh. right? 
You get to the end of Christmas vacation, all that build up the expectation of what it was going to be like, and then it's like, back to school, right? After a long, you're looking forward to that long weekend for work, and then it's back to work, right? Like, it never fully delivers on the promise. Our hearts contain this infinite restlessness. We are these creatures, like I'm saying, of immense desire. Pope Benedict XVI, who was the pope, uh, the previous pope before Pope Francis, he put it this way. Man's aching desire for the infinite is like a signature imprinted with fire in his soul and body by the creator himself. The heart's thirst and the body's longing cannot be eliminated. It cannot be eliminated, but what can happen is it can be numbed out, anesthetized, and drowned out. Like, that's the world we live in. That St. Augustine's restless heart is just being put into this narcotic haze, this morphine drip, where our hearts are being numbed out. I find this fascinating. As a student of history, I will go back here. The, when atheistic regimes, communistic regimes, when they would move into an area, to take over control, one of the very first things that they would do is they would remove from the surrounding area all of the church bells. Why? Because those bells tolling throughout the day, ringing at all the hours of prayer, ringing before, ringing before a funeral, ringing at the end of a wedding, ringing for the Angelus, ringing for Vespers, these bells ringing throughout the day, they were piercing and, and punctuating the day the transcendent was breaking in. It was reminding everybody like to look up. You're made for more. Open your heart that that thing in your heart that's looking for something beyond the stars, it's actually corresponding to something. That the bells were, they were a reminder that we were made for another world. So they silenced the bells. They got rid of the bells. And what they replaced the bells with was the factory work whistle. Reminding people no, you are made for work. You are made for labor. You are not made for another world. Now look, we don't have necessarily surrounding us at this point. We don't have atheistic regimes taking our church bells from our, our churches, drowning out and numbing our heart's desires. But what we have is our own way of numbing ourselves. Let's watch this as a diagnostic of our world.
there's a spiritual director I loved who, who told me often when he was saying like hard truths to me, he was like, if you can't say amen, say ouch. That's like a, that's an ouch, right? Like that, I just, there, there, for me, there's just not a more apt description of our world right there. We don't want to feel like we get, we, we're so used to numbing ourselves, distracting ourselves, keeping ourselves away from our hearts. And man, it's, I mean, I, I don't mean to be like a Luddite about this stuff, but like these things right here, they are, they are just heart narcotics. They keep our hearts so numb. Pope Francis, he asked a group of young people a few years ago, as they were all like taking pictures, pictures, it's funny to hear the Pope say, selfie. <laughs> he's critiquing them for like, he's like, encounter me. That's my bad Pope Francis accent. But he's like, put your phones down. No more selfie, no more selfie. Phones down, phones down. He asked them, he goes, do, you, do all of you have a desiring heart? A heart that desires. Then he goes, think and answer in the silence and in your heart. Do you have a heart that desires? Or do you have a closed heart? A heart that is asleep? A heart that is anesthetized against the things of life? Okay, back to etymology. The word anesthetize, it literally means numb to beauty. Numb to beauty. I want to show you actual pictures that I took of people who were truly anesthetized and needed to be slapped by somebody. <laughs> the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I took this picture of these numbed out loser teenagers. <laughs> I just, it was so heartbreaking to me, right? They're surrounded by literal masterpieces. And there they are, just did it in his girls, 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 right? Uh, talk about numb to beauty. This one, this picture I took of these, this kid caught me. <laughs> so it was two years ago. I was in, I was in uh, Oxford and London for a long trip, and it was really awesome. And this was taken at Westminster Cathedral, you know, where the funeral and the coronation happened. Okay, so do you know, like, where these kids were sitting, if they had put their phones down and just looked up, you know what they would have seen? This. Uh, uh. I mean, like, what is that? Like, it's like a ceiling made out of pit cells. <laughs> it's so delicious looking. But the anise ones, I like the anise ones, right? Not a lot of people like the anise ones. Come on now, anise people, there we go. All right, vanilla's good too, but anyway, anyway. Now look, I've had in my lifetime, since seventh grade, I've had like 30-ish, I've lost count, eye surgeries, which means that I've experienced anesthesia going down, coming out many, many times. And it's a weird experience, it's a weird process, but it's, it's just a weird experience waking up. It, and it takes time. What I want to happen for the next 55 minutes is I want us to like try and begin to wake up. Like to let our hearts like stretch and move and actually like, well, what's, what am I feeling in there? Right, to feel our desires because the Lord, like I said, the Lord of the universe has implanted in you his signature. It's a thirst, it's a hunger for the infinite. And if you're not in touch with the thirst and the hunger that's in you, like Jesus has nowhere to land the plane. The runway for the plane of Jesus is your hunger and thirst. That's where he comes into contact with your humanity your heart. 
We have to get in touch with our hearts. What I want us to begin to see too is that all throughout your life, in all of your experiences, the movies that, that moved you, the music that moved you, the, the little scenes from your childhood, things that pierced you, moved you, and, and woke up your heart, all of those things throughout the entire course of your life, those have been like the bells that the God of the universe has been ringing into your world to wake you up and to say, you're made for another world. You're made for more. You're made for more. Like what happened to my little heart when I was five years old watching E.T., what happened to my heart is an 11-year-old boy in sixth grade watching Lord of the Rings, like those were the bells that the Lord was using, waking up my heart, waking up my heart. There's a word that the church uses coming from the Greco-Roman world to describe this kind of thing in the heart, this passion, this desire, this longing. The word is eros, eros. Pope John Paul II, he defined it this way. He said, Eros at its deepest level is that inner power that attracts man to the true, the good, and the beautiful. It's the power, the thing in us that's moving us, that's attracting us to whatever's true, good, and beautiful. Whatever's true, good, and beautiful. Those bells that were ringing in your life as you were a child, as you were little, as you were growing up, that was Eros. That was God awakening your eros. Like all of that, all of those experiences from E.T. to sunsets that took your breath away as a kid, all of those things, those lowercase b, beautiful things that surround us were meant by God to awaken our hearts with this thirst for like the infinite beauty. Like all of the little lowercase b beauty of this life from delicious cups of coffee and amazing bonfires and beautiful sunsets, and E.T., and Lord of the Rings, like all of that little stuff is pointing us to the infinite beauty. That's what all of this is about. It's this conspiracy of love. Like, please tell me you kind of know what I'm talking about. Like, that you have, like, give me some of this if you kind of, like, okay, yeah, okay. Like, have you felt, have you, for me in particular, fall is like the quintessential time of, like, my heart getting stirred up, right? Like, driving through the night, window down, like somewhere somebody has a bonfire going and it just like, <laughs> as I'm driving, that's kind of what happens. And I'm just like, like, you know, I just want to like pass out because it just, it's so piercingly beautiful. C.S. Lewis, who I'm a huge, I'm just, I'm a student and a huge fan, a lover of C.S. Lewis. He, he used this German word to describe this experience. The German word is the word Zangzucht. Zangzucht. Doesn't that sound good? That'd be like a good like laser tag team name. Like next in line, Zangzucht. Anyway, Zangzucht. What is he talking about? It's that unnameable something, desire for which pierces us like a rapier at the smell of bonfire. Yeah, dog. At the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, or like the title of the story the well at the world's end, or the opening lines of Kublai Khan, that should be Kublai Khan, Kublai Khan, the morning cobwebs in late summer, or the noise of falling waves, all of these things he's saying, these are things, he's like, these are things that have pierced me, that have woken up my heart. Like, have you ever stepped outside of your house and like, had your own like double rainbow moment where you're like, ah! all the way across the sky, full double rainbow, right? Or have you ever like seen 
like the perfect spider web. Look at that. Look at that thing. Or have you been like bowled over by the absolute purple of purple flowers or like, like a moth? Like, guys, these things are God just like, they're everywhere around you. Like the creator of the universe is like, there's treasure all around you, right? Have you ever been absolutely leveled by the beauty of a wheat field when you're thinking like every stalk of grain, God, you put there for me? I have, because uh, that was me, okay. <laughs> I was shooketh, as the kids say. Okay, I was so leveled by this experience. I, yeah, I, this was totally candid. Someone like, just took the picture. I was in full praise the Lord mode, straight up Michael W. Smith blasting in my heart at this moment right here. I was in full how great is our God right here. If you could see my face, I was crying because it was just so overwhelmingly beautiful. So overwhelmingly beautiful. There are things in this world that stop you dead in your tracks. Like, look at that. Look at that. Like, have you ever seen the moon at night so bright that it looks like the sun? This is a nighttime picture. Shot on an iPhone. Nighttime picture. Or seen a sunrise that's so stunning that you just want to, like, weep? I took this time lapse on vacation this summer. Look at this. I was in the Upper Peninsula. How awesome is that? Like, I have memories. I have memories, and it's weird, and I still feel it. I felt it the other morning. I was driving back to the parish. Sun was coming up over that field on... Uh, uh, Medina Line, I think. There's like the cemetery, big field, fruit stand. Okay. Oh my gosh. Like I, I pulled my car over because uh, I'm like, I just needed a second, right? Like, hope I don't get hit. Um, be awkward. I have mass. And um, <laughs> the Rudy soundtrack was playing in my car, okay? Come on, right? I was having a moment. And there was this thing that welled up in my heart, and it's a weird thing, but it happens often with, like, especially sunrises. I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, I wish I could eat that. <laughs> right? <laughs> my goddaughter, Rose, she's goes, she goes bananas about these little purple flowers that come up in the front yard every year. Oh, look at these things. They're so beautiful. She, uh, she texted me on her mom's phone last spring. She was like, our flowers are back. So cute. All right, I want to show you a video. I want to show you a video of someone who's been so pierced by beauty. This guy's heart has been rendered like a child, okay? I came across this guy's channel on YouTube about a year ago. Now, look, there are people who love trains, and then there's this guy, okay? <laughs> Listen, you tell me if it sounds like something's happening inside of it. Okay? Okay. Ah, I've been waiting for this moment for months and it's finally here. I'm finally gonna get a heritage unit on camera. Yeah! All right, look at that, a 1953 E8. Woo! -hoo! Oh, yeah, listen to that bell. Yeah, listen to that bell. Oh, take a look at that. Oh, my God! Woo! 
Listen to that horn! Oh, oh my God! Oh, she's beautiful! She is beautiful! Yeah! All right! Oh my! Oh! Oh! Oh, oh no! It's a BL2 too! Oh! Oh! The SNC 52! Oh my God! Oh, we're we're gonna watch this. Oh, this is special. This is special. Oh, oh, that horn gives me the chills. Oh, and the chills have absolutely nothing to do with how cold it is here. Oh, oh, but that doesn't stop a foamer. Oh, especially when it comes to heritage equipment. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, oh my goodness. Look at that, blue and gray. Oh, coupled to the, oh, Iowa Pacific, number 518, woo-hoo! Ah-ha, woo, listen to that horn. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh my gosh, look at that. All right, ah, oh. Yeah, I wonder who T.C. Durant is. Oh well, ah! This is just awesome. I've been waiting for this for months. Look at that, Illinois Central livery, right here in North Creek. Ah, that is awesome. Ah. Oh yeah, I can't believe I got this. Oh yeah. Ah. <laughs> so, like, I would usually edit the video, cut it down a little bit. That's just too good not to have the whole thing. Right? <laughs> oh, P52. Oh man. Okay. Something moving in that guy's heart. Yeah. The bells ringing in that guy's heart. Yeah. Listen to that horn. Oh, oh man. All right. <laughs> Like, God is wooing that guy's heart, you know? Like I said, there's people who love trains, and then there's that guy. <laughs> Just search on YouTube, crazy train guy. <laughs> there's a lot of videos. There's, just search them. Anyway, like the, like the beauty of engineering. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about this that has wooed this, guy heart, this guy's heart. It's pierced him. Listen, look at this quote from Pope Benedict. Genuine beauty, it gives man a healthy shock. It draws him out of himself. It even makes him suffer. Ah! Right? <laughs> Pierces him like a dart. But in so doing, it reawakens him, opening afresh the eyes of his heart and mind and giving him wings, carrying him aloft. You could hear the piercing, the zengzukt, right? The longing, the passion in that guy's heart. He'd been stabbed by the P-52. Ah! Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, if he could eat that train, he would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure he would. All right, I want to return to this quote back to Pope Benedict. Man's aching desire for the infinite is like a signature imprinted with fire in his soul and his body by the Creator himself. The heart's thirst and the body's longing cannot be eliminated. It cannot be eliminated. Back to our... Train friend, right? Back to our train friend. Pierced, flooded with joy, right? But what's the sadness for that man? The train was leaving. 
The horn blows, then the horn stops. The bell rings, then the bell stops. The train whistle ends. Like, like do you suppose after he saw the P-52, like, do you suppose that he was like fully satisfied and was like, I don't have to see another train ever again in my life? <laughs> yes or no? No. 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 If anything, his desire was intensified. He wanted more. He wanted more. Like this, I believe, right here, is what the Pope is talking about, about this signature in our hearts, this, this desire for the infinite. Like this aching longing in our hearts for the infinite is, I believe, the deepest part of our humanity. Like back to that bumper sticker, right? The observation of Monsignor Albacete, Jesus is the answer, yes, but what is the question? Like, qu the question is this, like, like Lord, how shall my heart, how will my heart ever actually be satisfied? Like, how will my desires ever actually be fulfilled? Like, will they actually be fulfilled? This insatiable hunger I have? for more, for goodness, for infinite beauty, infinite goodness, infinite love? Like, how, will it ever be satisfied? Like, Lord, you awaken this ache in me, you awaken this thirst in me, and you fan the flames of desire in me by surrounding me by all of these beautiful things, like the sun rises and the Lord of the Rings and the trains, like you awaken it in me and you keep stoking the fire in me. Like these moments that are so beautiful and so good, but I want them to last forever. But they don't. Like, do you do this to tease me, God? Like to make me sad and frustrated? Like, why do you awaken this ache? Why do you awaken this ache? This is what happens to me every springtime. I'm gonna show you a video in a moment, probably after we go on a break. I'm going to show you a video in a moment, but this guy who's in, the, in this video, his name is Christopher West, and he, he finally helped me understand this experience I've had in my life for a long, long time. That, Like springtime for me, this is, this is me in springtime. <laughs> like I, I love and I hate spring so much. The daffodils come and they're gorgeous, and then the daffodils freaking go. <laughs> They Irish exit me. They just like, without even saying goodbye, they're just gone, right? The daffodils come, the daffodils go. I, this, is, this is an actual picture I took. This is a friend of mine's house. Yeah! Try being friends with that guy. <laughs> Every year, these Japanese cherry trees blossom in his backyard. Unbelievably beautiful. They don't stay like that. They don't stay like that. Like, I, I have this attraction towards this and also this, like, bizarre hatred of this because it's like, I want this beauty, but then I get mad at this beauty because this beauty comes and this beauty goes. It fades. It draws me in and then it goes away. Like, I don't want beauty that moves me to come and go. I want a beauty that stays. I want a beauty, I want goodness, I want, I, I, I want it to never go away. Like that's why we, that's why we hate death. That's why we get so sad at funerals and we tell ourselves these stupid platitudes like, like we like, we just 
bypass our whole heart and we just say, they're in a better place, it's fine, they're in a better place. Yeah, I want them here. I don't want them to be dead. Like my grandpa who died back in January of 2020, my last surviving grandparent, he got out of here before COVID hit the world and he was smart. <laughs> but I miss him like heck. And yeah, I know he's in heaven. Like I'm a priest, I, I know these things, right? Like I know these things, but I want him here. Like I would love to go to another baseball game with him. Man, it's just like, if we're honest with our hearts, it's like, I want another conversation. I want another hug. I don't want it to be gone. I want something that stays. There are moments that you and I wish that we could just hit the, the pause button on life and make these moments last forever. Because like in those moments, like somehow coming through that moment, like we're tasting something, we're experiencing something. It's like, yes, 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 yes. I want this, whatever this is, I want something just like this, but forever. And so often those moments come and they go so fast, right? Like, I just want to get like, just vulnerable with you guys and just, and just, man, just share my heart with you. Like, for me, so often these moments come with, like, my nieces, my nephews, my godchildren, the, the kids who, who, are, who are essentially nieces and nephews, my friends who have let me into their lives as Uncle Patrick, right? Like, like this, my goddaughter at five months old. You should know that her and her twin sister are in fifth grade now. Like I, and I think the reason why we take so many pictures of beautiful things is because it's our, uh, the feeblest attempt that we have of trying to hold on to it for forever. I think that's why we take pictures and videos, even though like none of us actually ever go back and really look at them or watch them. Because you're like, yes, 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 I want, I want to hold on to this forever. I, I loved every one of these moments. Some of their siblings. This is typically what my day off looks like. <laughs> I trade one zoo for another zoo. Like, I just... Like, again, you're like, ah, if I could just have the pause button on life. And hold on to that. But they come and they go. They come and they go. We're going to watch this, and then we're going to take a break. We don't want to look at this. We don't want to face this. And the this I'm talking about is death. 
Pope Benedict XVI says there are certain moments we experience that should last forever. And the fact that they don't, he says, is the great sadness of human life. I have a kind of love-hate relationship with a redbud tree in my backyard. And after many years of feeling this, I, I finally asked myself one springtime when it was in full bloom and I was feeling this kind of attraction but rejection of this tree. I was like, what, what is going on in me? And I realized this deep sadness I feel that these buds, which are so beautiful and awaken a deep attraction in my heart. In a few weeks, they're gonna die and fall to the ground. And I just found myself angry about this. Lord, what is going on in my heart here? If I'm honest with myself, I'm, I'm mad about death. I want a beauty that doesn't fade. I want a joy and a happiness that isn't threatened. I want a life that's secure. And everything around me speaks of a beauty that comes and goes. I'm getting old. I'm going gray. I have age spots and wrinkles on my face that I didn't used to have. I can't do nearly as many push-ups as I could just a few years ago. My bones are getting creaky. I don't like this. It all points to the fact that I'm headed to death. A few years ago, I buried my beloved sister, Emily. And I mean literally buried her. My father, my brothers, my sons and I, we wanted ourselves to lower her in the ground. And we wanted ourselves to put the dirt over her grave. She died of cancer. And I was with her in the very moment of death. I had never experienced that before in my life. She had been in a kind of unconscious state for about a day and a half, her eyes were closed, very labored breathing, like those death throes and the rattling of the chest. And in the final moments of her life, her breathing quieted, she opened her eyes, and she looked around the room, and there were just four of us there, my mom, my dad, my other sister and I, she saw something. There is no doubt in my mind. We saw her seeing a beauty that was secure, that was everlasting. My, my heart leapt, and then she breathed her last, and boom! Like getting hit by a truck, I got hit with grief, it just overwhelmed me and I wailed 
and I sobbed, and I think I probably woke up the whole hospice center because it was four in the morning. And I was face to face with death like I had never been before in my life. What's the point? What's the meaning of it all? Everyone we love is going to die. Everything we love is going to die. Pope Benedict XVI reflects that the lovers in the Song of Songs cry out from the depths of their heart for a love that is stronger than death. He says this boundless demand of the human heart, which he calls, using the Greek, eros, this cry for a love that lasts forever, he says, this cry of Eros brings us to the basic problem of human existence. We long for a love, for a beauty, for a life that lasts forever. But we are confronted, boom, we are confronted with death. And then he says, the resurrection of Christ is God's response to that cry of Eros for a love, a beauty, a life that lasts forever. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real and we can enter into that ourselves, then we're not just destined to return to dust, but that dust is destined for divinization. Take a five minute break. All right. I want to just walk through uh, that quote that Christopher West was referencing at the end of that video because um, it's so beautiful. I just want to make sure we don't miss it. To the Christian, he says, faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an expression of certainty that the saying that seems to be only a beautiful dream is in fact true. What saying? This saying. Love is strong as death. Where does that come from? It comes from the Song of Songs, which is a book in the Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, this sentence comes in the middle of praises of the power of eros, the power of longing, the power of passion, the power of desire. You got these lovers talking back and forth and they're, they're expressing this longing, I want love to be as strong as death. But this by no means signifies that we can simply push it aside as a lyrical exaggeration. He's saying, we have to take this seriously, is what he's saying. The boundless demands of Eros. He's talking about your heart. The boundless demands of your heart. The fact that your heart demands and longs for eternity. The boundless demands of Eros. It's apparent exaggerations and extravagance do in reality give expression to a basic problem, indeed, the basic problem of human existence. Like, this is an extraordinary claim. Like this German theologian, this guy who's smarter than smart, right? Like who's lived through Nazism and communism, this guy who's seen the worst of the worst, who understands the human person in such a depth and degree, it's unimaginable, who has synthesized like the world's intelligence and wisdom. And he is saying this what I'm pointing my finger on is the basic problem of human existence. Insofar as they reflect the nature and intrinsic paradox of love, what? That love demands infinity, indestructibility. Indeed, it is, so to speak, a call for infinity. Love demands infinity. Indestructibility. Indeed, it is, so to speak, a call for infinity. But it is also a fact that this cry of, loves, of love cannot be satisfied. That it demands infinity but cannot grant it. Your heart demands, longs for, thirsts for infinity, but you can't give that to yourself. That it claims eternity, but in fact is included in the world of death in its loneliness, and its power of destruction. Only from this angle can one understand what resurrection means. Why Jesus is the answer. It is the greater strength of love in the face of death. I, I was praying with John's gospel about a year or so ago. And I, I was reading chapter 16, and I, I, I got stopped in my tracks by something that I read that I just never read before, saw before, noticed before. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's preparing them for what's coming, his passion, his death, that I'm going to suffer. Then he's also trying to tell them about the resurrection, but they're not getting it. He says to them, he says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one, nothing can take your joy from you. Like there is nothing in this life, as Christopher West was saying, there's nothing in this life there's no relationship, there's no product, there's no person, there's no mountain range so secure that it doesn't eventually go away. There is nothing in this life that is so lasting and so secure that my joy doesn't disappear with it. And here Jesus is making this audacious claim, I will come back to you and your hearts will rejoice 
and nothing will touch your joy. Nothing will touch your joy. I want to go back to E.T. for a moment here. Have we all seen E.T.? Because there's some big spoilers coming. <laughs> like, the biggest spoiler. Like the, like the Titanic sinks kind of spoiler, like, like that kind of level. Okay. All right, all right. Well, I warned you. All right. E.T. dies. E.T. dies. It's, the, it's one of the most sad scenes ever, I think, put on celluloid. It is so moving. Elliot has this connection with E.T., and he's saying to him, he's looking through this glass window in this box where his body is. He's saying, you must be dead. I can't feel you anymore. You've gone someplace else now. You've gone someplace else now. Like, that's the finality of death, right? You've gone someplace else now. This scene, I think, five years old, I think this scene I'm about to show you is, is the, the first time my heart felt what resurrection is. Let's watch. Phone home. Phone home. Phone home. God. <laughs> I'm not going to make it tonight. Ah! <laughs> uh, this, this is us, right? This is. This is us looking at the face of everything that we love doesn't last that we're just caught up in death. Death claims everything. There's a finality to everything. I want the infinite, but it, I can't grant it to myself. Everything comes and everything goes. Like these stupid mums up here. Like I came down here, I was so mad that this room was covered in mums. Because they're pretty now. <laughs> Sorta, some of them, right? But like, give them like a week or two. 
Like this, this is, this is, this is why I, I love and hate spring. This is why I love and hate sunrises. Like, because it, it rises, but then it, it rises. It's looking at the finality of it all. I have this heart that longs for more. And I'm just looking into death. And then this freaking moment right here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Who felt that moment? Right? If you didn't raise your hand, you should go see a cardiologist. <laughs> like, and then he turns and he looks at the geranium and the geranium is coming back to life. Like, is love stronger than death? This is what he's discovering. Is love stronger than death? And then this. Like, what does Mary Magdalene look like on Easter Sunday morning? This. Like, I know, I, it's funny, but I'm, I'm being dead serious. Like, like if, if, if Jesus is the answer, he's only the answer because the question of my heart is, I'm, I want there to be a love and a beauty that lasts forever. I want there to be a love that's stronger than death. Like, this is what the resurrection is. This is why your heart matters. This is why your passions and your desires, this is why your heart matters. This is why eros matters for Christianity. Listen to this. Despite all the widespread impressions to the contrary, we must impress this truth upon our souls and allow it to settle into our bones. Christianity is the religion of desire. The religion that redeems Eros, and its saints are the ones who have had the courage to feel the abyss of longing in their souls and in their bodies. We shut it down so fast. We're those, we're those stupid teens in Westminster just on our phones. I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel, I don't want to be sad, I want to be happy, I want to get my hopes up, I don't want to ache, I don't want to cry, I don't want to pine, I don't want to wish for more, I don't want to be sad at this funeral, I don't want anybody to die, I'm just going to shut it down, I don't want to feel. The saints are the ones who let themselves feel how deeply they long. And they open that longing in the groaning of prayer to the one who alone can heal their wound of love. Friends, here's my question. Is your heart kind of like awake? Is it waking up? Is the anesthesia wearing off? Like, are you feeling some yearnings? You feeling some stirrings? Can you maybe like the faint distant sound of those bells? What were the bells of your life? This is your homework. What were the songs of your childhood that lit up your heart? What were the movies of your childhood that lit up your heart? What were the books of your childhood that lit up your heart? What were the games? What were the toys of your childhood that lit up your heart? Get in touch with your heart because all of that beauty, all of those moments where you found your heart burning within you, right? Every time you wanted to grab the remote control of life and hit pause, like all of that, all of that was God like drawing it to himself. Jesus is the answer. Ask any kid who's gone to Catholic school. They'll just tell you, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the answer, blah, blah, blah. What's four plus four? I don't know. Jesus. <laughs> I went to Catholic school. We're fixing that here at Sacred Heart. 
Jesus is the answer. Here's what I want us to begin to see about like, the Catholic Church. If he really is the one in whom love is stronger than death, if he is the infinite God, and if he came in the flesh, and if he established a church, and if he, the infinite God, gives himself to me in the Eucharist, then that means I get to feast now on infinity. I get to actually eat the rising sun. Like that desire in my heart, I was like eight years old, looking out across Cascade Park, watching the sunrise, thinking weirdly, I wish I could eat that. It wasn't just because I was husky. <laughs> it was because when I go to Mass, I actually get to. You get to eat the risen sun. That's why at the start of every single Mass, especially here at Sacred Heart, we say, this is a pledge of future glory. So if you are coming into this experience, if you're coming into becoming Catholic, if you come into Mass and your heart is numb and shut down, like we, we got to wake it up so that Jesus can get in there. I'm going to show you one more video, which, is, which means that I'm going to extend us five minutes past. Don't tell Deacon. <laughs> It'll be worth it. I'm going to play a piece of music for you. The song you're about to hear is called the Benedictus. The Benedictus is, it comes from the part of the Mass that we sing together as a church right before the Eucharistic prayer. It comes from the words of the, the Sanctus, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the phrase, those are the words of the song. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The, the way that this piece of music puts this, it's like, like, this is what every Mass should sound like. This is what the incarnation sounds like. This is what it sounds like when the infinite God comes to us. Jesus is the answer only if our hearts are longing for the infinite. Let's listen to this as our, um, to prepare us for a closing prayer. Actually, let's do petitions first, and then we'll end with this as like the whole final prayer. I'm just going to pray for someone who's going through a really hard time. We're going to ask uh, for healing uh, for someone named Kathleen. God, we lift up to you um, Chuck Powell, who apparently is, is uh, on his way out of the world, that he would soon behold that infinite ocean of beauty. We pray for healing in all family relationships. Lord, we lift up all these petitions and all the ones we hold in our hearts to you. You are the one who wants to hear and answer our heart's desire. You are the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the infinite God breaking into our finite world. 
We make this prayer to Jesus to you.
our hearts realizing that we actually long for the infinite. But more than our longing for the infinite, the infinite longs for us. And he came in search of us.